0: Part 5 of Beckside Lights by John Ackworth This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Leah's Lover, Chapter 4 Better Than Her Fears But Leah's battle was not over when she had given her consent to marry Five, the stony calm which existed within her from the time she decided to accept Luke until the moment when she told him so, or perhaps more exactly, the moment she was alone, after she had told him so, vanished as quickly as it came. And for the next day or two she would have given worlds to recall her consent. But Luke evidently knew with whom he had to deal, and for a lovesick swain showed a most singular reluctance to see his sweetheart. He was turbal busy, he explained hurriedly, when Leah, four or five days after her consent, sought him out. He had been putting thaxins in, for The marriage and would be compelled to be absent a good deal just now in order to conform to the law with regard to the question of residence. It was only years later that Leah learned that they had been married by special licence. Besides, Luke urged, he was up to thee nae furnishing and hadn't time for nowt. Then he turned to sending little notes to her using Johnty Harrop the minder as his messenger and Leah, remembering his schoolboy handwriting, was astonished at the bold, dashing calligraphy of the missives, and half suspected him of employing an amanuensis. And yet she didn't see how he could. The marriage was, of course, a profound secret, and Luke seemed to take a most characteristic pleasure in the fact that the affair was to be, in appearance at any rate, an elopement. On the few occasions when they did get conversation together, leah was so preoccupied with desire to draw back from her promise that she never thought of inquiring what arrangements luke was making as to house furniture etc and luke as she pressed him for release generally sought safety in flight and brought the interview to an abrupt termination consequently when they got into the week on the saturday of which the wedding was to take place leah literally knew nothing of what would be done when the ceremony was over and was still so preoccupied with her own internal conflict that scarcely a thought of the future passed through her mind. The Friday came, the last day of Leah's maidenhood. She was to meet her lover that night at the end of her father's woodshed, and all day long she was collecting her little personal possessions together one minute, and rehearsing the last passionate appeal she intended to make to Luke for release the next. And as evening drew near, her agitation became almost painful, and the hour of tryst seemed as though it would never come. Presently, however, she stole out of the back door, trying to nerve herself for what she knew would be a severe struggle, and was just stepping softly towards the yard through the darkness when she heard herself called. She stopped. It was not Luke's voice. It was a woman's. Before she could speak, she heard a light footfall near her, and an instant later Mrs. Johnty Harrop's plump little arms were thrown around her. A letter was thrust into her hand. A hot little face, wet with sympathetic tears, was pressed against hers, and a caressing voice murmured, "'God bless thee, wench! There's nought to fear!' Then the arms unentwined themselves. There was a flutter of receding skirts, and in a moment Leah was alone again. A minute or two later she was up in her own little bedroom reading Luke's letter with the aid of a candle. The epistle was rather longer than usual. It stated that Luke found that it would be impossible to carry out their arrangements except by going himself to Whipham on Thursday afternoon. He had therefore done so. She was to follow by Saturday morning's coach to Duxbury and then by train to Whippham, where he would meet her. Some other directions were given and then the letter concluded Keep your heart up, my bonny wench. In a week's time you shall be prouder of being Leah Yates than ever you were of being Leah Barber. Leah read this communication over and over again, and dwelt with a wistful, clinging feeling upon the closing sentences. She discovered now for the first time that she had never really believed that Luke would give her up, or even consent to a postponement, and she was alarmed to find also that there was something in her which would have made her feel disappointed if he had consented. She felt, also, as if there was a sort of fate, she dared not call it providence, in the affair, and that she was being swept on with the current of things in spite of herself, and it somehow relieved and comforted her to think so. But why did she dwell so lovingly on the latter part of the letter? Somehow, during all her struggles, she had felt a strange faith in Luke, in spite of all, and those last words of his seemed to promise that he was going to give her a sweet surprise. God grant it might be so. And then she began to wonder where she was going to live, probably not in Beckside, and under all the circumstances she felt it was better so, though it was an additional pang to be separated from her beloved ones. This was her last night in the old home, the only home she had ever had, and she began to look round with a strange, softly sorrowful look she stole into her father's bedroom and stood long before an old daguerreotype portrait of him hanging over the drawers. Then she stole downstairs and as the front room was empty she took refuge in it whilst her feelings rose and fell with the different articles that she looked so wistfully at. She found an old leather-bound Bible familiar to her from earliest infancy and kissed it again and again with choking sobs then she fell on her knees at the spot where her father always knelt at family prayer and laying her cheek on the well-worn cushion of the arm-chair she began to sob again with a violence that was almost hysterical how long she knelt there in the dim candle-light she never knew but presently a voice cried in tones of alarm here what's to do and the portly form of her mother stood over her in distressful surprise Leah still hugged the cushion for a moment, and then, with a last impassioned kiss, she rose to her feet and faced her parent. Mother, she said, with grave, sad face, I'm going to leave you o'er th' morning. I'm going to save Luke if I'm lost meself for it. What can I help it, mother? Mrs. Ben took her daughter quietly in her arms and held her there in a long, clinging embrace, and at last she murmured, Go where thou will, wench, and do what thou they will. Thou'll allus be our Leah to us, and there'll allus be a home for the year while the father and me lives. And then Ben came in and had to be told. He dropped into his chair and then down upon his knees, and... But there are some scenes, even in Beckside history, too sacred for strange eyes to look upon. Next morning Leah dressed in her ordinary sunday clothes took her seat in the duxbury coach by her own choice she went alone and sat as deep in the coach as she could get trembling and quietly weeping though her heart felt cold and hard as stone the train from duxbury to Whipham was late that day and it was half past eleven before it pulled up at the station luke was there "'dressed with a quiet good taste "'which even Leah in her agitation "'could not help noticing with a momentary pride. "'Then they hurried into a cab. "'Luke seemed sadly extravagant, she thought. "'This was the first cab she had ever ridden in, "'and as the parish church was close at hand, "'they could have walked in five minutes easily. "'As she walked up the aisle, "'Leah thought she caught a glimpse of a bonnet she knew, "'but she had other things to think of. "'The service was commencing.' dear dear was this the garrulous graceless luke even in the cab he had not been able to repress his overflowing fun but here before this silver-haired old vicar he was sobriety itself yes sober and something more for if ever a man went with all his heart into the solemn covenant of matrimony that man was luke yates Leah was puzzled yet deeply gratified and then it was over and almost before the minister had said Amen, this dreadful Luke threw his arm round her and actually broke out into a great sob, and whilst the first tears she had ever seen there stood brimming in his eyes, he cried, to the amazement of both Leah and the vicar, and the intense amusement of the old sexton, Oh, get in thee, oh, get in thee, thank God, O oh, get in thee. Then they adjourned to the vestry, and were preparing to sign the register when the door opened, and the best little bonnet in Beckside, surmounting the merry face of Mrs. Johnty Harrop, appeared in the aperture. The lively little woman seized Leah, and kissed her as though she would never cease. Behind Susie came the minder himself, sheepish and bashful. He was just beginning to wish Leah many happy ri- when Susie cried, "Jaunty!" and the poor minder broke down and stammered a sort of apology but was afraid to attempt any further compliments the register got signed the minder and his wife witnessing and then they went out and that reckless luke put them into a cab again jaunty mounting the box seat and there they were driven off to a quiet hotel and there behold was a small but frighteningly elegant wedding breakfast which Leah felt almost afraid to taste as she thought of its probable cost. Breakfast over, Johnty and his wife must go, and of course the bridal pair would see them off. Just as the train moved out, Susie leaned out of the window and cried to Leah, "aw oh, in a say, good day, wench. Aw'st oh, happen see thee again afore long.' And she looked so very arch and mysterious as she said it that Leah was compelled to think that it was welcome news. "'and felt better after it. "'Now all these things had been done so rapidly "'and in such a whirl of excitement "'that Leah had caught some of the infection of it "'and felt, somehow, a most unusual elation, "'so much so that when she began to rebuke Luke "'for his extravagance in cabs, etc., "'and that triumphant young man "'pulled a crooked penny out of his pocket "'and wickedly declared that it was all he had in the world.' Leah had a sudden rush of pride and trust in her new husband, snatched the penny from his hand, and threw it as far as ever she could over the railings, never even stopping to see it flop into the river. Then they walked about the town, viewing the places of interest, Leah trying to look as little like a bride as she could, and Luke doing his best to make everybody see that he was a happy bridegroom. As the afternoon wore on and the excitement subsided somewhat, Leah's anxiety returned, and all the things that she wanted to know began to clamour in her mind. "'Luke,' she said, stopping suddenly in a quiet walk on the edge of the public park, and looking gravely at her husband, "'Thas towed me now to nowt yet. Isn't it time thou opened thy mouth? Ay, I'll tell thee out as if thou wants to know. "'Nah, start off. What's fuss thing?' "'Where are we going for to live?' "'Live? Wait!' "'Ibeckside, where else?' Leah was startled a little. In thinking of a future, so far as she had thought of it at all, she had somehow imagined herself living away from her native village, and thus escaping some of the consequences of her daring act. But to think she was going back to face it all out amongst those who knew her, took her breath away, and so she faltered faintly. "'Ibeckside, whereabouts? If "'Ith bonniest little arse, clough.' Luke spoke these words as though they were a quotation from somebody else, and Leah suddenly remembered that in the only lover's walk she had ever taken with Luke, they had passed the cottage of Jimmy Juddy, then emptied, and which had stood empty ever since. And so she said, "'No, not Jimmy Juddy's owd ass at the bet bottom. yeah." A rush of sweet feeling came upon Leah. Her face softened, gratification at discovering that a carelessly dropped word of hers "'had been treasured up by her lover, "'and woman's pride in the dear little house and garden "'which everybody admired, "'struggled through the veil of her natural reserve, "'and the light in her eyes was abundant reward "'to the keenly observant man by her side. "'By this time, the early November day was closing in, "'and the bridal pair made their way to the station "'en route for Beckside. "'As they went along it began to rain and blow, "'and when they arrived at Duxbury, It was as wild and dark a night as leah had ever been out in however were they going to get home the walk at any time would have been quite as much as she could manage but after such a day and in such a drenching rain it seemed madness to attempt it luke however seemed very cheerful about the matter and laughed at her fears and when the train stopped he led the way to a side gate of the station and before she had time to think she was safe inside a covered conveyance "'and bowling away through wind and rain towards Beckside. "'How reckless Luke was with his money! "'He might have come into a fortune by the way he threw it about. "'This would be an additional task to the heavy one she had already undertaken, "'for unless she economised she could see they would soon be ruined. "'The wind still swirled and whistled about the coach, "'and the rain beat against the little window. "'But Luke and Leah sat in darkness and silence.' "'except for occasional laconic remarks about the storm. "'They seemed to be going very slowly, "'and though they must be getting near their journey's end, "'and had already passed one or two lighted houses, "'even the reckless Luke dared not venture to look out. "'A sudden drop made Leah aware "'that she was going down into Beckside "'and getting near her new home. "'What sort of place would it be? "'She nearly smiled as she imagined her lively husband "'selecting and arranging furniture.' and prepared herself for almost anything that might present itself in the way of ridiculous and even outrageous contrivances. But she would bear it all. Luke should see what religion could do for those who had it, and with a temperament such as his, she was sure that submissive gentleness would be best. She was resolved that she would make the very best of what he had provided, and try to use this as one of the means of bringing him to God. Just then the coach stopped, and in a moment the door was opened, and she was nearly lifted out by her excited and eager husband. The rain was still pouring down, and the cottage door, standing open a few yards down the garden, sent forth a most welcome and alluring light. "'Run, wench, run!' cried Luke, and Leah, in dread of the rain, made all the haste she could. As she stepped into the doorway, who should rush forward to meet her but Mrs. Johnty Harrop? "'Hear that, wench, at last!' Come in with it, with a face beam with gladness. Leah stepped across the threshold, took a hasty glance round, and then stood stock still, in amazement and alarm. Coming in thus from the rain and the inky darkness, with a mind prepared for almost anything except finery, the sight that met Leah's eyes quite overpowered her. She took in the situation in a moment. Luke had evidently got acquainted somehow with the Harrops, and had taken Mrs. Johnty into his confidence, and the result was one of the bonniest and most cosy-looking little houses that Leah had ever seen. such a fire this wild night, and such resplendent fire-irons, and what armchairs and rockers and fancy cushions, and oh, what drawers and what a hearth-rug, and of all the fancy clocks! But poor Leah could only stand and look round, dumbfounded, but at that moment, Luke came in behind her and drawing her forward and down into the rocking-chair, he cried, "'There!' and stood back to watch her. Leah glanced wonderingly round again, and was just about to speak when she caught sight of a picture hanging over the mantelpiece. Something familiar about it arrested her eyes, and she rose out of her seat to examine it. What was it was a picture of the old Beckside Chapel before the alterations. It was framed in rosewood, and looked as if it had been drawn and coloured by someone whose heart was in his work. An artist would have seen many faults doubtless, but to Leah it was just perfect, and great tears welled up into her eyes as she gazed at it. Suddenly she wheeled round to speak to Luke, who was deep in whispered converse with Mrs. Johnty at the door going into the back kitchen. But as she did so, her eyes caught another picture on the wall opposite, and stepping across to it, she discovered a representation in oil of her father's house and premises. It was a rude attempt, shockingly out of perspective. The brickwork was very red, and the mortar lines were very white, whilst the garden was a most startling green. But Leah saw no fault in it at all, and after gazing fondly up at it for a time, she sat quietly down again with a melting heart and pale but smiling lips. Then Mrs. Johnty invited Leah upstairs to take her things off, she said, but really that she might exhibit to her all the grandeur of her little home. Leah was quietly delighted, and grew softer and tenderer as she looked about. She had never seen anything like it, and when she had finished a tour of inspection, concluding with another loving look at the pictures, she turned to Luke, who had just come in from the back kitchen, and said, in her grave way, Luke, thas capped me money a time, but this beats o'er. I paid for it. Luke's face lighted up with that roguish look, so frightening and still so fascinating to Leah, and he answered, reaching out his arm to snatch hold of her as he did so. Paid for it. Now. Oh, I've got it to on th strap. In another moment he would have had her in his arms, but she glided away, and Mrs. Johnty coming in cried, Na, then. "'No clipping a four-fork. "'I'm sure for thee, Leah.' "'It weren't a me,' cried Leah, and the rest laughed derisively. And then Johnty came in from the back kitchen, hot and red with making toast, and they sat down to tea. During the meal, Mrs. Johnty gave Leah a full and particular account of the whole scheme of house-furnishing, and wickedly pretended to be afraid to tell what it had cost. And when Leah, in growing alarm, pressed her, she presented the bills, all duly and regularly receipted. They sat for some time after that until Johnty became quite sentimental and told about his own wedding day and would have enlarged still more upon his domestic experiences but that Susie, with the air of a woman of sixty, told her husband, "'We'd better be piking off warm. Young folk are best by the cells.'" When the Harrops had gone, Luke and Leah went all over the house again, and Luke explained everything and exhibited his various purchases with all their marvels of contrivance and convenience, until Leah was quite overpowered and her heart was full of the sweet music of the thought that this was Luke's mode of telling her how he loved her. When they had gone through everything again and were just about to sit down, she turned to Luke with a sweetly sad and yet earnest smile, and touching him on his arm, the first sign of a caress she had ever given him, said as she did so, "'Here, lad, "'or should be the proudest "'when she Lancashire to eat, "'if only thou were converted.' "'Luke laughed, "'an odd, catchy sort of a laugh, "'and if Leah had been a little more observant "'she might have noticed a strange light "'in his brown eyes. "'But she did not, "'for the answer he made gave her room, "'she thought, for far more serious reflection. "'Converted!' he cried, hey what's happen can that they have for I've done? And Leah sent up a little prayer that she might be strengthened and saved from so great a fall. Presently they began preparing for retiring, and Leah, after another proud yet somewhat pensive look round her little domestic palace, was making for the staircase when Luke, who was looking very much at home in the easy chair, called out, "Leah, what art oh, thou that call this religious?" Weel, I'm her up, as she turned to look at him with a glance of inquiry. Religious folk and family prayers, anna thee? Aye, said Leah faintly and with sudden loss of breath. And as she sank down on a chair wondering what was coming next, Luke got up and opened a drawer, brought out a new family Bible, and handing it to her, said, Here, that'd a made a rare parson if that'd have been a mon." Leah took the book in a dazed sort of manner, and sat still with it on her lap with feelings too deep for utterance. After a few moments' silence, however, she opened the book and began to read a psalm. Then she slid to her knees. Luke followed, and she began to pray. Hesitantly, blunderingly at first, she spoke, but soon as the thought of her husband's condition and the responsibilities she had undertaken filled her mind, She expressed her desires more freely, and if she had not been so fully occupied, she might have observed that her young husband breathed out more than once sounds that were strangely like amens. Next morning as she went about her new domestic duties, constantly discovering fresh evidences of the lavish manner in which Luke had provided for her, her mind was distracted by wondering how they would spend Sunday. She ought to go to chapel, but she dared not face it. She could go with Luke, but she had no hope that he would care to meet the people. What was her duty? Ought she to take up her cross and go alone, whatever the consequences, and thus give her husband to see that she was beginning as she intended to go on, or ought she to stay at home with him and try to restrain him from going off into bad company, as she felt sure she could do if she chose?' Then she might gradually wean him from his dangerous associations, and some day, perhaps, she might coax him back to chapel. A little before chapel time, Luke came downstairs, dressed in his Sunday best. Come wench! Aren't I getting ready?' he cried in mild surprise. "'Ready? What for? Where are we going?' Goin'? Way! To the chapel, aren't we?' And Leah sat down and cried a soft sweet little cry it was in which her heart overflowed in thankful surprise and relief she could face the chapel folk easily now and in a few minutes they were crossing the fields in the shy november sunlight leah feeling as proud of her husband as he evidently was of her there was a buzz of sensation as they entered the little sanctuary followed by much whispering and when long Ben, looking depressed and nervous, opened the vestry door for the preacher to pass into the pulpit, and caught sight of them, he stood for a moment transfixed, and then hastily closed the door, and it was far on in the service before he mustered courage to come into his own pew. When the service was over, Ben came down the chapel and mutely shook hands with them. The juvenile barbers somewhat shyly followed him, and gathering round Leah, asked all sorts of embarrassing questions, while Luke stood by with growing delight as he listened to his young wife's brave answers. At the evening service, Luke and Leah turned up again, and to everybody's astonishment, and most of all to Leah's, Luke insisted on staying to the prayer meeting. As the meeting proceeded, there was a mysterious pantomimic display going on over the heads of the kneeling worshippers. Jonas Tatlock and Sam Speck were standing up and nodding their heads to lige the road-mender who sat near the young couple pointing significantly at them as they did so but lige shook his head and jerked his thumb behind him towards jabe in the back pew presently sam left his seat and going on tiptoe to the clogger's pew he leaned over and whispered Art not they goin to spate to yon lad go sell, was the somewhat sulky rejoinder for jabe was suffering inward torment It'd look better if thy went, That turned him out than us. Weal, O'Shaughna. And considering that they were in a prayer meeting, the clogger's tone was simply shocking. After another unsuccessful attempt, Sam went back to his seat, and the meeting closed somewhat prematurely. Meanwhile, Long Ben, sitting in his pew, had made up his mind to a great deed. As soon as Leah had gone on Saturday morning, he went up to the clog shop and told his old friend what was taking place that day, and it was some time before he could make Jabe believe what he said. When he did realise it, however, all the stiffness that had come between them of late melted away in an instant, and though the fact was shown by neither word nor act, Ben knew that he had, if possible, a deeper place than ever in his old friend's love and care. Ben, therefore, secure in the support of Jabe, "'hastened out of the chapel the back way "'as the meeting was dispersing, "'and stopping the young couple as they came out, "'he said, "'Yo two mungum down to our ass. "'To Leah's surprise, "'Luke seemed glad of the invitation, "'and his face did not change in its happy look "'even when Jabe and Sam Speck were invited. "'Beyond a long careful look at her daughter "'as she shyly entered, "'Mrs. Ben gave no signs of any unusual feeling.' and in a few minutes they were all seated comfortably round the supper-table, comfortably, that is, as far as mere accommodation was concerned, for in every other respect the gathering was a failure, and everybody seemed awkward and taciturn. The food was eaten almost in silence. A few words were said about the sermon and the weather, but nobody made even the faintest allusion to the great event that was uppermost in everybody's thoughts. Luke, however, seemed to be eating rapidly, but it was more as a stimulating accompaniment to his own very active thoughts than because of any particular relish for the food. Just as they were about to return thanks, Luke lifted his head, and looking towards the clogger, said, "'Jabe, I want to thank thee for turning me out of school.' Everybody looked up in astonishment, but as nobody spoke, Luke went on, "'O oh, ne'er knowed i mitch or oh, liked it till then, but that made me think, aw oh, can tell ye.' Aye, and feel too, that schoo and this wench, laying his hand gently on Leah's shoulder, has saved my soul. Leah started up with a glad, eager cry. Aye, wench, Luke went on, looking down upon her with a burning glance. Tha's saved me soul. Oh, Alice, like thee, and the more religious thou were, the more I like thee. I dunna say as tha did read, if sight o' God wi' tacking me, but thou did it. And when o'er seed thee risking this soul to save me, it fairly knocked me o'er, but wench I'm converted or' been converted well a fortnight, and if God helps me, thou doth best osbundy beckside bless thee, bless thee. The scene that followed baffle's description, whether poor Ben or his wife or the still Leah or Luke himself was most excited, it would be difficult to say but for the next two hours tongues were going and joys were being reciprocated until everybody felt young and bright again. When at last the company began to break up, Jabe, who had been strangely silent all evening, drew Luke aside into a corner and said in a subdued voice, Dost smook, lad? Aye, a bit. There's a seat for thee at the clog shop fair. Any time there's a mind to come and that being as near to an acknowledgment of mistake as Jabe could ever be expected to come no more was ever said between them about Luke's expulsion end of part five end of leah's lover